0: Thank you very much, Anita. So we think about Christ, what he has done, who he is today, where he is. Encourage you, if you're a teen, a parent, a leader, a grandparent, six o'clock tonight, weather permitting, in the new church hall, take time to pray for teen camp. And then our evening worship service at seven o'clock. Then Tuesday, the teens leave for camp, meet at the church building here at 1230. And there's no Wednesday evening services this Wednesday. In relation to interacting with God's Word this morning, if you didn't get a pink sheet, if you wave your hand, Alan or someone will make sure you get one. If you didn't get a pink sheet, wave your hand, Alan will make sure you get one. As we interact with Scripture, take a few moments in silence. You share with the Lord your desire to be open and sensitive to scripture this morning. <clears throat> Again, Father, we're grateful for your word. We want to be those who hear with a desire and an intent to apply. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Couple thought questions. Are you a minister? Are you a minister? If so, where? And if you would say no, why would you say not? Is there sacred work and is there secular work? Am I involved in sacred work because, quote unquote, I'm clergy? And if you're not involved in in clergy work, then you have secular work. Is there secular and sacred work? What are the beliefs of people in the area where you minister? What are the beliefs of people in the area where you minister? As you study scripture, you will find that God basically says we're all ministers. There is not sacred work and there is not secular work. All work is to be for God's glory, reflecting the image of God. And as we think about Christmas, we think about Christ. And Christ has given us the privilege of sharing with others. Sharing the message of the gospel. So as you minister in your day-by-day living, on your job, as you shop, as you relate to your family, that's your ministry. Think about unbelievers in your severe of influence. As I minister in my respective vocation, I need to think about unbelievers in my severe of influence. And I have listened with interest at this Christmas season. Some people will say Merry Christmas. And some will say, Happy Holidays. And it's been my observation that some believers become alarmed when they hear Happy Holidays because it should be Merry Christmas. But have we stopped to think about the fact of where are people at in their thinking when they say Happy Holidays rather than Merry Christmas? Do we see that as an opportunity To stop in our thinking and reflect on Christ and say, as a minister of the message of the gospel, how should I respond to that person? See, where people are in their thinking makes a difference in how they respond and how we should respond to them. Christ came among us. We're among others other humans on the job as we shop as we're in school and since Christ is the good news we're to be communicating the good news in our day-by-day living so this morning we gonna look at a portion of Scripture and how Paul and Barnabas attempted to share in a particular setting and then make some applications of sharing Christ in our world today whether it be at Christmas or other points in time. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts. Chapter 14. Acts. Chapter 14. So if you're relating to someone that says happy holidays. Well how do you respond? You're relating to someone in the job that is looking forward to just some time off over Christmas. How do you respond? Acts 14, I'll begin reading with verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Though they spoke so effectively, that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, To confirm the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lacedonian city of Lystra and Derbe, into the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra, there was a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him so that he had the faith to be healed and called out. Stand up and... At that time, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lacedonian language, the gods have come down to us in human forms. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bows and wreaths into the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Crops their he you with plenty of food fills your heart with joy. Even with these words they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some of the Jews came from Athens, or Antioch, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Each time I read that passage, I think about Paul being stoned and left for dead, and I think the next day he left for Derby. You know, being stoned and left for dead would leave a profound impact on you physically. We don't know how God stepped in, but nevertheless, we see Paul and Barnabas ministering, and as we think about them ministering, just a map of where they are ministering, and in process of eliminating the overhead and don't have maps on computer and so on yet, but that's coming. <clears throat> but they were ministering, and the particular location that they're ministering at this point in time is in the city of Lystra. They ran into some problem in Antioch, or I'm sorry, in Iconium, and ended up going to Lystra. Lystra was a Roman colony, made a Roman colony, by Augustus. It was a center of education, a center of enlightenment. Little is known about the history of the city before the events in Acts and little after. The population, there was local aristocrats of Roman soldiers, there were Greeks, there were Jews, and then there were the native Lacedonians. The native Lacedonians are the ones who would have been offering the gifts and wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. And the reason Paul and, Barnabas could, I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas could go to Lystra was that Lystra was in a different political realm than Iconium. So they could escape, but we know that trouble followed them. They called Barnabas Zeus. He was the chief of the pantheon of gods, that is the Greek pantheon of gods. Hermes, they associated with Paul. Hermes was the son that Zeus had by Maia, and he was a spokesman for the gods. There's a stone found near Lystra that was dedicated to the hearer of prayer, assuming to be the gods That the Lacedaemonians followed. About a half a century before Paul's first missionary journey, according to Ovid, there's a legend that the gods, Zeus and Hermes, came among the people and they tried to find someone that would be hospitable. And they went to a thousand homes and no one was hospitable. And finally, they went to an elderly couple who was very poor, Philemon and Bacris. And they were very hospitable, welcoming them into their home. And from their meager resources, they prepared a meal for them. And as a result, their home was transformed into a temple with a golden roof and marble columns. And they were appointed priests and priestess for the gods. And those who were not hospitable, their homes were destroyed. And it is believed that one of the reasons the people to whom Paul and Barnabas minister here were offering sacrifices, they thought the gods were again visiting them as they had a half a decade earlier. Now it's with that background in mind that we find Paul, Barnabas healed a man. He said to the man, stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. Now notice that the man in verse 8 is lame from birth. From what I understand of the medical field and what I have observed of people, and I don't claim to know a lot about that. But someone who has been lame from birth, or even someone who has been in bed for weeks and they're going to receive therapy so they can walk again, it takes time. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And we're dealing with an obvious Miracle. So what does the crowd do in response in verses 11 through 13? They're shouting in their language. The gods have come down to us in human form. Remember the account I shared earlier. Some a half of a century earlier, the gods had come among them, according to legend. They're assuming the gods are coming again in human form. So what do they want to do? Worship. Paul, Barnabas, attempt to stop them. I want you to notice what Paul and Barnabas say in verse 15. Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like us. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth, and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Now here we find Paul, Barnabas, responding to a crowd that worships, Zeus and Hermes, and want to worship Paul and Barnabas because they think the gods have come among them. And they're trying to stop them. So the audience to whom Paul and Barnabas are speaking are religious, but lost. And I would pose a question in relation to that, and I think it would be on your pink sheet also, at the middle. Okay, as we think about the text of the scripture, the question would be, where do you think the people here in Lystra were on the evangelism scale, and that is also on the pink sheet, Where do you think they were? Did they realize they were born with a God vacuum, 12? I think so. Because they're worshiping some false gods. Were they aware of a higher power of powers? I think so. Because they wanted to sacrifice to Paul, to Barnabas. They sensed some personal emptiness, otherwise they wouldn't be worshiping. There apparently was some spiritual void. <coughs> Again, or they would worship. They were very vulnerable to false religious beliefs. But apparently they did not realize there was one true creator God. Now I want you to stop and think about something as it relates to the time of year at where we're at. People will say... Happy Holidays, rather than Merry Christmas. Have you stopped to think that they may not realize that there is a Creator God? You say everyone in America knows that. I'm not so sure they do. This crowd would not have been aware of that because Paul and Barnabas Talk about the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Talking to a crowd, and he or they say, "You know, we're dealing here. Turn to the living God." So Paul and Barnabas apparently began where the people were. They would have known nothing about Jesus. They would not have understood any of the gospel concepts, God, human, sin, death, Christ, and so on. So what was their worldview? Their worldview was one of false gods. Did not believe in a creator God but they did believe in gods who had the ability to do great things because if the legend actually ha- actually happened, then the gods were able to make the man and the woman who were hospitable to them a priest and a priestess, able to turn their meager home into a temple with marble columns and a golden roof. But that's where they were. Of the eight gospel concepts, which we discussed a number of weeks ago, which did the Lystrans already understand fairly well? Of God, humans, sin, death, Christ, the cross, repentance and faith, and eternal life. They probably didn't understand any of them. They believed in false gods. Because of that, they would not have understood about humans, would not have understood about sin and death, Christ, the cross, and so on. Paul and Barnabas had to begin where the audience was. So their response when they're going to be worshipped. Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men. Humans like you. We're bringing you good news. Turn from these worthless idols. Turn to the living God who made heaven and earth. Paul begins with God, appeals to God as creator, the one who made heaven earth and everything in them and he has not left himself without testimony and ultimately that would be appealing to Christ he began where they were not where he thought they should be as you think about life as you think about living in our world today And sharing the message of the gospel of Christ, stop and ponder where are people in their thinking, in their beliefs. So, someone says, Happy Holidays. Rather than getting all uptight and saying, Oh, why are they saying that? Think where are they at in their thinking? Maybe you come back with a question What do you mean, Happy Holidays? Why don't you use Merry Christmas? Do you realize why we're even getting some time off of work and we're shopping? It's because of Christ. See see it as an opportunity. Begin where they are with an intent to talk beyond that as the doors open. Paul, Barnabas, began with God. Should we expect someone who does not have a relationship with God through Christ to be concerned about the true meaning of Christmas? No. But we can begin where they are. What did Paul say to challenge and correct their faulty worldview? Notice what he says in the text of Scripture. We, too, are only men, human like you. We're humans. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things. There's a temple to their gods also, to the living God. Who made heaven and earth, seeing everything in them. In the past, he let nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. You know, showing kindness by giving us rain and so on. What's Paul doing? What's Barnabas doing? They're sharing in light of where their belief is, pointing them to God pointing them to the living God. Now, we know that Paul, because he was a spokesman, ran into some trouble. They stoned Paul. Dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But we know he got get up and went on. Now, my question is... <clears throat> It relates to sharing Christ with unbelievers. How can we share Christ with unbelievers? What evangelism or making disciples' guidance do we see in this passage? First of all, I think seek to know your culture. In Acts 2, Paul or Peter was talking to Jews, and where did he begin? With Christ. Paul here is talking, Barnabas are talking to those who did not understand Christ. And where did he begin? God. Audience makes a difference. Where you begin? Know your culture. So Christmas to our world basically is a holiday. So you begin there. In talking to people, where they are with the desire to lead up to Christ. I think also in our culture today, it's important to start with God as creator. God as creator. If there's no creator, there's no need of Christ. Because if God didn't create, humans are not sinful. We're not separated from God, so there's no need of Christ. I think also expect persecution, expect rejection. Even if you're loving and gracious. You say in America we don't get persecuted Some of you in your job settings already are told to shut up concerning Christ. Don't speak of Christ, or you might lose your job. Ruth Ang contends that probably before I would get out of the ministry, I may end up in jail. Because I just take a stand for the gospel. I don't know if that'll happen or not. But there are certain things happening. And as we proclaim Christ, we live for Christ. And we share the good news. Don't be afraid of some persecution, whatever form that may come in. Expect false worship. Should we be shocked at the fact that we today will hear Happy Holidays rather than Merry Christmas? Probably not. Because for years in our country, we have been worshiping false gods. You say, really? One of them is money. Another of them are houses. So what do you mean houses? If you understand what has happened in the housing market and how that all set up is because we valued houses and we wanted them to increase in value and so on and eventually our worship of houses caught up and things went south. Just read a little about it. Houses being a god. Houses in themselves are not wrong, but became gods. And that resulted in some difficulty. Another one. At this time of year, we will see Santa Claus. How many of you have ever heard of the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town? He knows when you've been bad and when you've been good. That's been sung for years. That song is attributing to Santa Claus divine qualities. And people will believe Santa Claus. My point is, we live in a world, in a country where there is false worship. In that context, the Holy Spirit has to do the conviction. convicting. We can't do it. The Spirit of God must convict. We must be faithful. God is creator. Humans are sinful. They're separated from God. Christ came to pay the penalty for sin. And people change from one extreme to another quickly. It's interesting that one moment Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas rather, are being worshipped. And then there's a, the next moment there be, he's being stoned. It's the way people are. If a person believes in evolution, what are the implications for sharing the gospel of Christ of the eight gospel concepts which should be or, or should be shared first now think about it, the world in which we live, if a person believes in evolution and you talk to them about Jesus, Jesus, why do we need him? Probably need to begin with God as creator because there's no need for Jesus if God is not creator because Christ is creator. And if Christ is not creator, then He's not the one who was sacrificed for our sins and so on. Now stop and think about where people are. So you're sitting in biology class. And the teacher is teaching on evolution. And you raise a hand and say, teacher, I got a question for you. And you graciously pose a question. And your question maybe is on the order of, if things evolved, where did we humans evolve from? And I'm not sure what the response would be. Well, we evolved from something. And it goes back and back. And finally you say, well, where did that come from? I don't know what the response would be. But begin where they are. We as a nation have chosen to abort millions of individuals. And we will debate that over and over again. When does life begin? That's not the question to ask, I don't think. The better question is, where does life come from? But even the abortion issue goes back to creation versus evolution. And as we talk to people, where are they? Where are they at in their beliefs? We probably need to many times begin with God. And then go to Jesus. Recently I was reading the account of an individual who was talking to someone about Jesus. And the person responded back and said, I believe in Jesus. The person that was talking to them thought they believe in Jesus. But they just said they believed in all these other gods. And then the person asked another question and said, Which Jesus do you believe in? And the person said, not the Jesus of the Bible that you're talking about. So we need to ask questions. We need to stop and think about where people are. Oh, I believe in God. Well, which God do you believe in? The one who created the universe? The one who sent Christ? Paul and Barnabas say, we're dealing with a creator God. God. And they go on to explain. At this time of year, and it can be at other times of years, as we seek to proclaim the message of the cross, think about your audience, who you're speaking to. Begin where they are. You want to talk about God, you want to talk about man, you want to talk about sin, death, Christ, the cross, repentance, eternal life. And that may be a process in time. But seek to understand where they are. You now what God do you believe in? What Jesus do you believe in? How can you have a relationship with God? Not in an obnoxious way, not in an unkind way. But being faithful to Scripture, being faithful to Christ, with an intent to push people towards Christ. I want to close with thinking about Christ coming. Christ came among humans as a person. He lived among us. And as you think about Christ, and you think about being a testimony and a witness for Christ, your greatest testimony will come in two forms. Your first one is your life. Jesus came and he lived for some 30 years. Then he began what we call his public ministry. And even during his public ministry, he lived among people. He called 12 to be with him. They saw his life. They observed him. And when he talked about going to the cross, they didn't believe him. That is, the 12 did not believe him. Peter rebuked him. Christ still went to the cross. Christ is no longer present. But we can follow his pattern of living among unbelievers as ministers day by day. Working, studying as unto the Lord. And as people say and ask, what is it about your life that is different? We talk to them about Christ. Christ is God among us. Christians among unbelievers with an intent to share the message of the gospel of Christ. Are you modeling that? Is that your desire to point others to Christ? Let's pray together.